the series Shameless Life and such a tremendous series. I hope you've been enjoying it. I know I have. Sometimes as the minister, you get so blessed and because uh, you're studying and chewing on it the whole time. Uh, but like Brother Hagin said, I don't know if I helped you or not, but I preached myself happy. And so uh, the dead will live. The dead will live. Jesus did not come into the world to make bad people good, but he came into the world to make dead people live. Did you get that? He didn't come into the world to make bad people good. He came into the world to make dead people live. In other words, those that were apart from God and separated from the life of God, alien, (laughs) I say that, aliens, (laughs) The Bible says, from the life and the nature of God, Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief has come only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and that you would have it more abundantly. Well, that the only way you have that life is if you get the life of God and the nature of God. And that's actually, if you looked at the Bible, the New Testament, it wasn't originally written in English. It was originally written in Greek. And if you look at the Greek word that they use for life right there, it's actually the word zoe. And that word zoe means the life and nature of God or the life that is the quality of life that God lives with. It's the very same life that sustains God. That life, for you to have that and for me to have that, that's why Jesus came into the world, that we could have that kind of life. Have you ever Have you ever been just uh, really conscious of the power of God and the goodness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. And you, get, you, you, you see it so clear and distinctly that you're like, uh, man, I, I have got to share this. I can't just have this for myself. I have got to share this with others. This is so invigorating. And this this changes my perspective. This changes my thought life, right? Well, God lived and Jesus lived with that kind of life. And they were not satisfied to live alone with that kind of life. They said, I want you. I want this, this life to sustain you. I want this life to come to you. I'm not satisfied to see the enemy come steal, kill, and destroy my people whom I have created. I want to come and I'm going to take his power away and I'm going to sever his ability to dominate my people. It's, it's good news. It's such good news. And that's why Jesus came. So he didn't come uh, to make bad people good. A lot, a lot of times people try to, uh, as humans, we will try to live up to what we believe God's expectations are or other people's expectations. And by trying to do right and do good and do this and do that. Well, you know what? If you ever receive Jesus Christ and you embrace his life and his love, his nature on the inside of you, you will have someone on the inside whose name is love and he will dominate you. Actually, the love of Christ constrains us or compels us. Let's look at that uh, scripture real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Amplified translation says, for the love of Christ controls and urges and impels us because we are of the opinion and conviction that if one died for all, then all died. Message translation says, 
Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. Isn't this good? Like our firm decision, okay, I've decided I'm gonna work from this focused center. What is that? Love, the love of God. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. Passion translation. For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for all of us. This means we all died with him. In other words, we're all in the same boat together. And uh, because of that, his love compels us because one died for all. Uh, If Jesus died for all of us, that drives us to love, right? Uh, Basic Bible translation. For it is the love of Christ which is moving us because we are of the opinion that if one was put to death for all, then all have undergone death. Like, I'm no better than you, and you're no better than me, because Jesus died for every single one of us. And that, that if we were all dead, that means, if he did that for all of us, the word is saying, that means we were all dead. So we were all in this uh, death condition, dominated by death and sin and the works of death and the works of sin. And we were slaves, Paul says in Romans, we were slaves to obey those things. But if he died for us, that means we don't have to. He didn't want us to live that way, to live in death. Um, I love Daisy Osborne has a message called never too dead for a resurrection, right? You're never too dead for a resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me will never die, right? You'll never be separated from God, from the life of God, from the nature of God. It's good news. The word of God, if you ever open your heart to it, will change your entire perspective on life. It'll change your, your reason for living. It'll change where you get your satisfaction from. Sure, earthly things are fun for a, for a period of time. Even sin, the Bible says, is pleasurable for a season. But you know, that's a short season. But when you enter the things of God and the nature of God, this has a satisfaction that is eternal. In other words, we say it lasts forever. Well, yeah, of course, it lasts forever. But not just that, that's really not the main point, is that this satisfaction doesn't originate from this world. The satisfaction is not built upon the things of earth, but it actually comes from the true nature of things, from the true source of all life. It comes from God himself. And this satisfaction, if you you open your heart to this life and nature, the love nature of God and the power of God, uh, and wrap your arms, so to speak, around this nature, you will have satisfaction in this world and in the world to come. In other words, you're not limited to just, you're not limited to if it's sunny outside that you're satisfied, or you're not limited to if people tell you you did a good job, then uh, you feel good about yourself. Oh no, because you know that if one died for all, then all were dead, and that includes me. And if I was dead, and but yet he died for me, do you realize, that uh, the value that the life of Jesus poured out communicates about you. That if you were the only one on the face of this earth, and no matter what sins you were committing or doing, no matter how good you were being or not being, Jesus would have died for you, and he did die for you. 
and because he loved you and because he valued you. Your, your value is reflected in the price of the life blood of Jesus poured out and the torture that Jesus had to, had to uh, endure. He loved you and he paid the price for you and he loves you today and he's not uh, unaware of what's going on in your life, of what challenges you're facing, but the only way that you come in contact with his ability and his life is by trusting in Jesus Christ, by trusting in God, by putting your trust in him and putting your faith in him. Verse 15 says, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but to him who died and was raised again for their sake. So he didn't just die to make us free from sin, but he died so that we who live and receive what he did, that we would not live for ourselves anymore. So apparently it's not healthy to live for yourself, right? In other words, it's not satisfying. It doesn't bring the life of God. It doesn't bring the invigorating power of God into your life to live for yourself. No, that's when you say, you know what? I'm not gonna live for me. I'm not gonna live for just uh, what I want, what I'm looking for. This is probably not a popular message in, in, in today's culture, but it is the truth of the word of God. And if you look down in your spirit, you would realize and it would register on you that this is the only source of satisfaction. Message translation says, he included everyone in his death so that everyone could be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Passion says, so that those who live should no longer live, <laughs> listen to this, it's kind of uh, plain. The, those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him the one who died for us and lives again. You know, there's a scripture in Philippians chapter two that uh, the Lord really quickened or made alive or, or you know, kind of open it up so that I could see it several years ago, uh, like I'd never seen it before. And, you know, it's where Paul is talking about Timothy. He said, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state all men seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. I believe it's verse 10 of chapter two. All men seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. You know, Paul, uh, he said, I have no man like-minded uh, except Timothy he's talking about. So that means even all the other believers that he knew. Do you know that you could be a believer and you could not be living from the nature of God or the life of God? You could be a believer and still trying to live out of the flesh. In fact, in Corinthians, Paul's talking to them so much about that. Like, you, you died to these things. How can you try to live in them any longer? You'll be the most frustrated people. You'll be the most like uh, disgusted people because you're, you're, you have the nature of God, the life of God, and God can't flow with you going in that direction fleshing out and just letting all those old ways dominate you because he whom the son has set free is really free. Uh, in other words, he set you free. Why would you uh, get under this slavery anymore like being a slave to sin? And Paul talks about this in, this in Romans 6. Hopefully we'll have time to get over there. Um, but that we would be no longer live self-absorbed lives, right? So we're not to live self-absorbed lives, but um, we're to live lives poured out for him. Like Paul said, my life is a drink offering. It's a drink offering to God. 
Second uh, Corinthians, uh, well, my favorite translation I think I mentioned is New King James. It says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Um, Romans chapter 12, verse, or excuse me, chapter 6, verse 12 through 14. I'm going to read in the message translation. Um, I'll give them a second to pull that up if they're trying to pull it up. That means you must not give a sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run the little errands that are connected with the old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin cannot tell you how to live. I'm going to repeat that. Sin cannot tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under the old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. And I'm going to read that in Passion Translation. Verse, uh, again, chapter 6, verse 12 through 14 of Romans. Sin is a dethroned monarch, so you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life, controlling how you live and compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. So then refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool of wickedness. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. You live now for his pleasure, ready to be used for his noble purpose. Remember this, sin will not conquer you, for God already has. You are not governed by law, but governed by the reign of the grace of God. <laughs> Isn't that good? You're not governed by the law, but you're governed by the reign of the grace of God, that the grace of God or the goodness of God or what God has done in Christ, that that would be the dominating factor in our lives or the determining factor in our lives. The reason uh, that we don't sin is because we have received God's grace, not because we're so disciplined, not because we're so awesome apart from God. The reason we can live uh, a life uh, free from a lifestyle of sin is because we have given our lives to Christ and we let him live through us and we let him uh, direct our lives and, and uh, prompt us and uh, show us what to do and which way to go, that we don't live for ourselves anymore, but for him who died for us and rose again. Uh, Romans 5.18 and message says, here it is in a nutshell, just as one person did it wrong and got us into this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. He got us into life. Romans 9.33 says, he whose faith rests upon it. Well, let me read the whole thing. They, this is NTMS translation. They struck their foot against the stone, which lay in their way in agreement with the scripture statement of scripture. See, I am placing on Mount Zion, a stone for people to stumble at and a rock for them to trip over. And yet he whose faith rests upon it shall never have reason to feel ashamed. 
If your faith rests upon Jesus, you will never have reason to feel ashamed. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. I'm going to read, first of all, King James and then Message Translation. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, Message says we refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes and we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. It, it would change your life if you let God's word be the final word and not try to make God's word fit you. But uh, understand uh, Psalm 119, 128, I think it is, says, I esteem your word above all else to be true and I hate every false way. In other words, uh, if it doesn't fit your, your lifestyle or your thoughts, it's not that you change the word or try and uh, manipulate the word to fit what you want it to be, but you uh, open your heart to the word and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You'll be completely changed, completely different. Uh, your desires change, your, your direction changes. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth on display so that those who want to want to can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. Uh, New Living says we reject all shameful deeds. And so uh, we are determined to denouncing means to be determined to avoid something, to put it aside or to reject it. So we reject these hidden things. Well, why can we reject those hidden things? Because the love of Christ compels us. Because when we really see, wait a minute, if I was dead and he died for me, that that means that he died so I could be alive. So I don't have to live in this death of shame. I don't have to live under the weight of trying to prove myself, of trying to find value um, by the things that I do or the things that people see me do. I don't have to, I don't have to qualify that way. And you can't qualify in that way. But the way that you qualify is you come by the blood of Jesus, the very life of Jesus. Some people say, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh, uh, things are going well. Uh, I'm a great believer and I follow the Lord and I, 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 the Lord uses me to minister to people and they get born again, they get healed, they get set free. Um, you know, so, so I'm doing pretty good. Well, like Paul wrote to the Galatians, don't, don't uh, take what you receive by faith and then now get into works and start to try to produce something. Uh, John, 1 John 1.10 actually says, if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. And he's talking to believers. Uh, if we say we have no sin. But then he says later, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us if we sin. In other words, God's not expecting you to sin. But if we say that we're perfect, uh, then the truth is not in us. So whether you're a believer or not, you, you make, uh, uh, you commit sin sometimes. And as a believer, your nature is not to sin, but you still live in a fallen world and your flesh has not been redeemed yet, right? Um, you know, that Jesus taught us that we'll get a new body 
uh, or even our body will be completely redeemed later. You know, he paid the price for us to be free from sickness and poverty, uh, but our body will be redeemed in the future. So your flesh still wants to do the same old things that it wanted to do, but we're not to let our flesh dominate us or our flesh make the decisions for us. We're to be led by the Spirit of God and, and follow him. So if we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we say like, no, I, everything I'm doing is right. Um, you know, you think of... Uh, relationship challenges and sometimes people in relationship challenges uh you know there's three sides to every story they say uh your side the other person's side and the true side right or the right side so in other words you're gonna see when you have a challenge from your perspective well everything i'm doing is basically right i'll admit to these things but you know uh they're really doing all of this but if you ever stop and get the perspective of god which is the perspective of love uh, you would begin to see uh clearly psalm 19 verse 12 through 14 says who can understand his errors Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then will I be upright and I'll be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Look at that. He, he's, he's saying, you're my strength. You're my redeemer. You, you, you judge me. And that's what Paul said by the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3 through 5. He said, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing of myself or by myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not prove I'm right. That is in the Bible. Let me tell you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 through 5. My conscience is clear, but that does not prove I'm right. That's Paul speaking. Uh, Paul saying, I got a clear conscience, but that does not prove I'm right. I have to rely on God for that. In other words, God is my judge. And so I say, Lord, uh, you look at me. You see if there be any wicked way in me. And uh, you judge. Why? Because you're a terrible judge of yourself unless God reveals it to you or you see it through his light. And like we said last week, when God reveals it to you, he always does it in love. He always reveals the blood of Jesus. In other words, yeah, you may see uh, when you begin to see with the vision that he gives, you'll begin to see things more clearly. Like, uh, was it Isaiah who said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Right? Mm -hmm. Because he began to see the holiness of God. And in the light of the holiness of God, you begin to see, hey, things that I thought were, were, were pretty good, maybe are, are a little... Uh, a uh, little lacking or a lot lacking. <clears throat> and so Paul said, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't mean anything. God, I have to rely on God for that. Uh, Proverbs 21, two says, all a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the hearts. And that makes me think of um, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter four. Uh, that the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing in two, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So if you really want to know the real thoughts and intents of your heart, you've got to feed on the word. And you feed on the word, and he will reveal to you uh, those things. And when he reveals it, he always um, reveals it in love. All right, finally, as we close out here, let's turn over to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. 1 John 4, 18. And um, I'm going to read 
uh, of several translations, uh, beginning with the Amplified translation. But in 1 John chapter 4, 18, I'm going to read actually verse 18 and 19. But we're going to go over verse 18 first, and then we'll go to verse 19. And uh, this is, this is uh, I believe, our final passage of Scripture for today. Amplified translation of um, verse 18 of 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love. Dread does not exist, but full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror. Mm -hmm. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love, is not yet grown into love's complete perfection. Message translation. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear, since fear is crippling. A fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is not one yet fully formed in love. Isn't that good? Such love, a new living, has no fear. Perfect, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Uh, Passion translation. Oh, oh my God. Uh, love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. In TMS, love has in it no element of fear, but perfect love drives away fear because fear involves pain. And if a man gives way to fear, there is something imperfect in his love. Well, you know, in the love of God, there's nothing imperfect. But so I like to say, you haven't fully embraced the love of God. In other words, you haven't been loved by that love. New li or God's word says, no fear exists where love is. Rather, Perfect love gets rid of fear because fear involves punishment. The person who lives in fear doesn't have perfect love. And finally, basic translation, there is no fear in love. True love has no room for fear because where fear is, there's pain. And he who is not free from fear is not complete in love. And then verse 19 in basic Bible, we have the power of loving because he first loved us. Well, uh, what are we saying? Well, the love of God frees you from fear, the fear of punishment. So we're talking about living a shameless life. And when you allow shame to direct you or you allow shame to influence you so much that you respond to that shame by actions to try to remove the shame, if it's apart from receiving the love of God or the blood of Jesus, then your, your fear you're fearful of the punishment or you're fearful of the pain or you're fearful of the embarrassment. Shame will cause people to lie that would never lie. Shame will cause people uh, to put other people down that really if they checked in their heart, they don't want to put other people down because they have the love of God. Shame will cause you to, to uh, 
warp your personality. You won't even recognize your personality. And somebody said, well, well, that's not me. Well, like I, like we said before, God, let God be your judge. You ask the Lord, Lord, do I have shame? Am I operating by shame? It's amazing how many people operate by shame. And you can see, they feel like they're not qualified. Uh, they feel like uh, they have to prove something to people to get people to like them. Uh, they can't show any weakness. They can't show uh, any inability. Well, when you see things how they really are, the love of Christ compels us because we judge this. If one died for all, then we're all dead. And then there is no fear in love. He that fears has never been perfected in love. And this kind of love you'll show to other people. So the God kind of love when you embrace this kind of love, his love, you embrace him, the love of God is poured in your heart by the Holy Spirit. When you open yourself fully and completely to his love, you have such security that you don't have to perform for anybody, that you don't have to try to prove anything to anyone. Because if you know that your father loves you, you know God loves you, that kind of love drives out the fear of performance. That kind of love drives out the fear of not being accepted. Now, it doesn't matter if person A or person B accepts you or not. You know that God loves you, and because you know that God loves you, your all fear has been driven out. It does, it, in other words, you don't have to try to try to um, do things to get God to love you. You don't have to like uh, be winning thousands of people to the Lord every day or hundreds a day or tens a day. Well, if you're, if you're really embracing the love of God, that love then is going to flow to you it's because he first loved us that we love others. So you will be doing that. That'll be who you are, not what you do right? You, you, you give that love away because you can't embrace the love of God and keep it to yourself. That's like not possible. And so perfect love casts out all fear. So that the, the fear of my life's going to pass me by. I haven't accomplished the things I'm supposed to accomplish. God's going to be dissatisfied with me. That you have not been perfected in love or you have not embraced the perfect love of God opened your heart to the perfect love of God. And maybe you had it a time, but then you got, you got into the routine of things and you're like trying to produce and trying to do and trying to make happen and all this type of stuff. Who are you living for? Because perfect love, which is the love of God, it pushes that fear away. It actually drives it out that you are satisfied in who God has made you to be because if he loves you, it doesn't matter who is against you. If God be for me, who can be against me? If he gave me Jesus, he will freely give me all things. In other words, if he gave me Jesus, it didn't cost me anything to receive Jesus, then he'll freely give me all things. I don't have to pay for them. I don't have to do penance for them. I don't have to uh, work and work and work and work and work and work and work. And once I work hard enough, I'm finally approved uh, to receive these things. No, the, the approval to receive the grace and the gift and the love of God and the the power of God and the, the, the provision of God, the, the, um, what you have to do and what has to be produced and the labor that has to happen is the labor of faith that you believe. 
Hebrews 4 says, our work and our labor should be to enter into the rest of faith, that we live a life of rest. And from that place, when you it dawns on you and you see more and more by God's grace, how much he loves you, how much he provided for you, you will have in you an unction from God himself, an anointing from God himself that, that compels you and pushes you and drives you to bring that love to others uh, by serving, by giving, by speaking, uh, by um, praying. The, the love of God compels us because we judge it this way. If one died for all, that means we were all dead. We're all in the same playing field. That means he loved us all just the same. And he died for all of us just the same. He died for you and he died for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your perfect love towards us. Father, I pray like Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter three, when I think of the greatness of your great plan, I bow my knees before you, Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, of whom all heaven and earth is named, the Father from whom all fatherhood takes its title and derives its name. Father, I pray that Christ would live in our hearts by faith, that we being rooted and grounded in love would be able to um, understand, uh, comprehend in our spirits with all other believers the extents of your love, the effects of your love, the strength of your love, the power of your love, the freedom that's in your love, that we would be filled, Father, to all of your fullness, more and more, in Jesus' name, amen. If you're with us today, uh, listening, watching, um, maybe reading this uh, in closed caption later, if, if you're listening to this, I wanna ask you, look at your heart. How do you do that? You don't have to open up your chest. No, I'm saying the real you, uh, the place where you forgive people. Uh, look to your heart right now. Examine your heart. What's the condition of your heart? Is your heart right with God? I'm not saying are you doing all the right things? or you're doing all the wrong things. I'm saying, what is the condition of your heart? Look at the condition of your heart. The Bible says, Jesus said, that you must be born again. You must be born again. Now you can't enter the kingdom of heaven because you're just doing all the things that you think are good or that other people tell you, well, you're so good, of course you're going to heaven. That's not how you get to heaven. The way you get to heaven is you become born again. You become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away, everything's made brand new. And the way that you do that is Romans chapter 10 tells us that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess him as Lord with your mouth, that you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth we make confession to salvation. So I want you uh, right now, I want you looking at your heart and I want you to make a decision in about five seconds. I want you to decide, yes, I'm gonna make a decision to follow Jesus. Today, I have decided to uh, not live for myself anymore. I'm gonna live for Jesus every single day. Ready, three, two, one. All right, if you made that decision, I wanna pray a prayer with you and I want you to pray it from your heart. I'm gonna say uh, the prayer and if you repeat after me, believing from your heart and saying it with your mouth, you will be saved. Say this with me. Say, oh God, oh God. I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm 
I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe that he is your son. I believe that he is your son. And that he died on the cross for my sins. And that he died on the cross for my sins. And that you raised him from the dead. And that you raised him from the dead. So I could be right with you. So I could be right with you. I take Jesus right now. I take Jesus right now. As my Lord. As my Lord. And my Savior. And my Savior. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to live for you, God. I'm going to live for you, God. I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm going to live. I'm going to live. Like someone. Like someone. Who has just received their life. Who has just received their life. Back from the dead. Back from the dead. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. That I am now born again. That I am now born again. A part of your family. A part of your family. Under your protection. Under your protection. And your guidance. And your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.